Welcome to Ben's Bible Podcast. I'm Ben Burkhart, your host, and on this podcast, we share refreshing and faith-building biblical truths. I hope you'll plan to join us on a regular basis. God bless you, and let's jump in to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Ben Burkhart here on Ben's Bible Podcast, and I'm glad that you are listening today. We are continuing our presentations on the, the question, is hell the number one evangelistic tool of the century? And we are going back to look at some of the Bible evidence on this topic. Yes, it has been used much in the past, and yes, it's, hell is still being used today to present the gospel. But we want to look at the Bible's tools for presenting the gospel. How does God reach hearts? And we are going to be looking at those texts where Jesus actually talks about the flames of hellfire, because he most definitely teaches about these things. We want to understand those texts, so we're going to be looking at them, uh, but I may not get to all those today. I'll, I'll do my best to get to what we can cover today, um, but we will be looking at some great stuff here on how God reaches hearts, how God reaches hearts, and what does what do the apostles say about God's judgment, um, how do they preach and present the gospel, how does Jesus preach and present the gospel. We're going to be looking at that. So before we jump in, let's go ahead and have a short word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings today. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We pray that you would just make it clear to us. Lord, may your truth be proclaimed as you would have it to be. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, we may have true understanding from the Bible and from your Holy Spirit teaching us. For this, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are looking at judgment to come. How did the apostles present the good news of the gospel? Well, they talked about righteousness and judgment to come. Yes, as they presented the gospel, they ultimately reminded people that we would all be accountable for the choices we make in this life, that one day we will all answer before God. So this is how we see the apostles presenting the good news of Jesus, that yes, we have to make a decision. Yes, we will be held accountable for that decision, because a lot of people today imagine that that we won't be held accountable, that we can pretty much get away with whatever we want to do. But the Bible is clear that God is a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God of judgment, and most certainly he's a God of mercy too. And every time we look at the cross of Jesus, we see both of these things blended together, that God is providing his mercy for us, God is showing his, his love and his salvation for us, but it comes at a price. It comes at the cost of his dear son, Jesus. And it also comes at our decision to surrender our lives to Jesus. We need to give our hearts to God. We need to choose to follow God. So all of this is presented when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Looking at Acts 24 and verse 25, we see some of the evidence for this. It says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. Then, uh, when, sorry, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So Felix, who was a Roman governor, was being presented to by the Apostle Paul. In fact, um, Felix was there as a, as a judge, and yet Paul was standing there as a righteous man presenting the truth. God gave Paul a chance to testify of the gospel to this Roman governor. And so the Bible tells us that Felix trembled as he heard these things, but unfortunately he did not make a personal decision that we have any note of here in Scripture. He said, when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And 
Paul was, was preaching about the righteousness of Christ and about temperance, how God is calling us to self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit, and how God would hold us accountable, judgment to come. So as Felix heard this, he trembled, and that means that the Holy Spirit was really convicting him. He recognized that, that this was the truth. God's word was the truth, and unfortunately, he was not necessarily making a decision. In fact, he wasn't making a decision to yield to God in this. But you notice how the gospel here is presented, that Christ and his righteousness is presented. God's call to a holy life is presented, to bear fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And God's call to uh, ultimately answer before him. All of this is presented in Acts 24. We also find from the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So God is telling us that, hey, we will answer for the decisions we make in this life. God is reminding us, and here as the gospel truth is presented, we are reminded that that day is coming, that all mankind will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the only way, the true way to stand before Christ and his judgment seat is covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, knowing that by faith you are saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ. So, this is the only way to come before God and be pursuing holiness, be experiencing holiness as Jesus teaches us, as his righteousness begins to, to rub off in our lives, as he begins to transform our hearts and our minds and transform our thoughts. This is what we need to experience. God is going to transform us day by day to lead us into that deeper walk with him and make us to be more like him in character. This is God's plan. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Now, here's another verse on this ultimate judgment to come. This is from the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The Bible continues to remind us of this fact that judgment will come. We must answer for what we choose to do in this life. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. These truths are continual truths. They are relevant to all people in every age. God does not change in his plans or his dealings here with mankind. God is consistent, and the teaching of this Bible truth is consistent throughout Scripture. We also find this wonderful Scripture, this very hopeful Scripture in this context, and this is going back into the New Testament, looking at Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, There is Therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Paul speaks in Romans 7 about his struggle with sin, and that he can't necessarily find a way out. He knows what's good, he knows what's right, but he doesn't know how to experience and actually do what he knows is right. And then he calls out, who will help me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he comes to the conclusion, and he states the conclusion that Christ, Jesus, is the only way out. That through Christ there is no condemnation. And it says that we are called to walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Do not follow the sinful desires of the flesh. As we trust in Jesus and as we choose to follow him and to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, then we will see great things happen in our lives. And the Bible says we do not have to be worried about condemnation because in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation. God has forgiven us for our sins. And if we make a mistake today, God still has forgiveness for us. Bring it to him. 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
righteousness. Powerful verse in 1 John 1, 9. Remember that we can come to God and receive that forgiveness that we so desperately need. And so we don't have to be afraid when we are walking in Christ, abiding in Jesus, staying in him. There is no condemnation when we follow the Holy Spirit. We walk after the Spirit and we stay in Christ. Um, And this is where the power is at, is God's power that enables us to be overcomers of sin. It is God who leads us in the way of righteousness for his name's sake. These are incredible truths of the Bible that we find throughout Scripture. You look at Psalm 51, for example, David, and asking God, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew within me a right spirit. So we find this transformation is from the beginning to the end of the Bible. God wants to work in us through his Holy Spirit to transform who we are. So all of this is is so critical and central to the gospel presentation that we find in Scripture, that there is judgment coming and it is time to get our lives right with God. Okay, so that's how it's presented here. And there is accountability. That is a great incentive and a great reminder that we need to make our decisions now. We need to get right with God. Now, to whom is the gospel open? Is this a good news message only for the Hebrew people? Is it for people all around the world? Well, if you read the Bible, it is for people all around the world. And and some also would say, oh, there's only just a select few that God wants to save. But you know what? If you read scripture, and we're going to here, uh, you will see that God wants all men to be saved. He desires all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is 1 Timothy 3, no, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. We're coming to that in just a minute. So Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35 says this, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted of him. So as the gospel is presented, it is presented as an equal opportunity that we all have access to this salvation through Jesus Christ. It is a message for all the world to hear. The gospel message is consistent as you look at how it is presented and to whom God calls us to present it. It is for all people. So God does not want us to perish. God does not want anyone to perish. And that's something we have to understand, who God is, how God loves us, how God cares for us, and what he ultimately wants for us. We have to understand that. And as we present the good news of Jesus, we have to let people know that God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants us to come to repentance. So as we present the gospel, according to scripture here, you notice that it wasn't coming with the threat of the flames of fire, although the Bible mentions judgment to come. And, and yes, we're going to get to the Bible texts that do talk about fire. All right, those are important. We're going to see how they come into play here. But notice that God reaches out with this incredible love for all people, this incredible mercy for all people, and goodwill for all people. And Really, as we're presenting the gospel, the good news of Jesus, let it be known about who God is. Let it be known about his goodwill. Let it be known about his incredible love and mercy. These things must be presented at the forefront of gospel truth because they are the heart, the front and center of the gospel message. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us and he gave Jesus for us to give us eternal life. These points of the gospel are to be at the forefront, the front and center of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we are being evangelistic and sharing the good news, let these truths be known. Let these truths be presented about who God really is. And so the Bible tells us more in 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4, which I started to touch on just a minute ago. It says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men 
to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. The Bible is so clear here that the gospel is not just for a select few, but that the gospel, the good news, is for all. Jesus wants for all men to be saved, to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So when the gospel is presented, the good news is presented, you notice that there needs to be a true knowledge of God that is presented, a knowledge of the truth. People need to be taught about who God is. His love needs to be shared. His character needs to be shared. The teachings of his word need to be shared. As Jesus told his disciples to go and preach throughout the earth, he told them to go and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there is a teaching work, an instructive work that needs to take place so that people can make a sensible decision, not a horrified, fear-based decision, but a love-based, well-informed, intelligent decision, because fear can only go so far. But as we've seen already, love will go much, much further. Love is deep. Love is abiding. And love will make incredible decisions to do good. And it is love that awakens love. It is God's love that awakens our love for him. The Bible says that he first loved us. God first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. That is what scripture teaches us, especially that verse comes from the New Testament. So let it be seen like God's love and care for us be seen. Let people come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to be saved. That's his desire. Now, will everybody ultimately make that decision and be saved? No, the Bible is clear that so many people will not. But God would love for people to be saved, for all. His heart is for everyone. And people need to know that, that God cares about them. Let the real character of God be understood as the gospel is presented, as the good news is presented. That is critical. Have you ever wondered about the Bible? What does it really mean? While some things are simple to understand, other things are not as easy. Questions like, how will Jesus come? What will the end of the world really be like? What happens when we die? And is there really a hellfire where the devil roasts people for endless ages? How can I find personal peace in my life? And if God is love, why is the world so evil? These are very important questions, and the Bible has clear answers to all of those questions. To begin your Bible study journey, please visit woosda.com. That's W-O-O-S-D-A.com. So here's another scripture along these lines, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but... He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, that's very clear. Verse 9, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. In other words, it's coming. Judgment is coming, but God is long-suffering. God is patient toward us. Why? Why is God patient with people in the world? Why doesn't God just strike us all dead? as the miserable sinners that we are. Well, you notice here the scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says here a lot about perishing, that the wicked will perish, but the righteous will have everlasting life. John 3.16 talks about that, and this verse here in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, talks about that. So God does not want us to come to our demise. God does not want us to perish in our sins. God wants us to be saved from our sins through the power of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be saved from our sins, from sin's power and sin's penalty, because Jesus paid the price for it on the cross, and Jesus overcame the tempter during his life. He lived a perfectly righteous life in this world, and it is through Christ's righteousness that we are saved. So the Bible says that God wants people to come to repentance. He's calling us to repentance. He's patient with us. God could have wiped us off the map long ago, and yet he hasn't to this point because he is patient. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know the truth. 
as you present the gospel, as you share the good news as a believer, as you tell other people what you've experienced in Christ, tell them what the scripture teaches. Let them know about God's love. Let them know about God's patience and his will, his desire, that we would all come to know him, that we would repent and turn away from our sins to follow him. Now, does that mean that God will never judge or bring the, the fiery flames because he wants people to be saved? Well, if you read the next verse, the Bible quickly clarifies in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Notice that, the heavens, the sky, passing away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So even the very elements of the world will be melting with heat, great heat. The Bible says here, it continues in this verse, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is a consumption, a flame from God, a fire that burns up all the things on the earth, the earth and the works that are in it. And so we see this flame burning things up. God's judgment is coming when God pays out the rewards, he, he executes the judgment. That happens, and the Bible is so clear in this verse. So what else does Scripture say on, on who God is and this great opportunity that he is offering to us? Well, if you look at Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, it tells us about the covenant that God made with Abraham many, many years ago. And if you look at the New Testament in the book of Romans, the foundation of righteousness by faith, the gospel presentation, it is built on this covenant that God made with Abraham. And you see here in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, what God promised to Abraham. It says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So there we have it again, this blessing that God gave to Abraham, not because he only wanted Abraham to be saved, but he gave it to Abraham because Abraham was supposed to be the safekeeper of this truth. The Jewish nation, the children of Abraham, were supposed to be this, the, the safe holders, the safe keepers of this incredible message that was to bless the entire world. In Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's what God called for. We also find this idea presented to Jacob in Genesis 28, 14. So we have uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the faith. It says, In thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This was the promise given to Jacob. We read now in the New Testament, Acts 17, verse 26 through 28, that all nations are of one blood, and God wants us to know him and, and his saving love. It says, And has made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that God determined when we would live and where we would live, that God knew you and me before we walked the face of this earth. God knew us. God has a plan for us. He wants us to know him. He reaches out to us, giving us opportunities to respond to his message of hope and salvation and love. In verse 27, it says that they should seek the Lord if haply, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The Bible tells us here that God is calling us to him and that he has put us in a certain place and time to give us opportunities to know the good news about Jesus. God wants us to feel after him, to, to find him, to sense him, and he's not far from us. It's through God that we live and move and have our being. Now, Paul was preaching this message on Mars Hill. Paul was preaching this message to a group of philosophers in Athens, and he was telling these people that God was 
looking for them, that God longed for them to know him, and he gave them opportunity to know him. Even right there in that presentation, God was giving them opportunity to know him. This is how the gospel was being preached to these philosophers, to these heathens. God was sharing with them his word through his servant Paul. And in this word, he was telling about the good nature of who God is and what God wants to do with us. So as we present the good news, let's be sure to present it like this so that people really get to know who God is instead of just coming and throwing a bunch of threats and first thing, throwing fire at people. Instead, share the good news. Share the good news about who God really is. Not that God's going to threaten you into believing in heaven, but that God is going to woo you into a relationship with him through his incredible love and his incredible nature and his incredible charm, which is genuine. It's genuine. It's not something that God puts on. It's just who he is. God is good. All the time, God is good. People need to know this. They need to hear this. Let them not get the wrong idea about who our God is, about his incredible love and his incredible character. Let people know it. The gospel was presented like this throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament. We see these incredible points of God's character. When God revealed himself to Moses, he shared his character, how good he is. Let people know how good the Lord really is. Now, how do the Bible authors encourage people or give people incentive to make a timely decision, a godly decision to follow Jesus? How does the Bible encourage people? Because there should be a sense of urgency. As John the Baptist preached in the New Testament, he told people to get ready for the time was at hand. The time was now. Jesus preached the same way. The disciples preached the same way. Save yourselves from this wicked generation. We don't even know when the last day will come in our lives. Our lives are short. They're just like a vapor. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. You have no certain guarantee that you will have even another day to make a decision for Jesus. So the time is always now. The gospel writers and preachers and teachers, the apostles, all of them shared the truth with urgency, that there was a need to make a decision today. There was a need to surrender our hearts to God now and not later. Notice here 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3, 8. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. There is an appeal here in Scripture to not harden your heart, but to open up your heart to God, to soften your heart to God and say, Yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Because ultimately God is good. God is love. And there should be a desire to follow him. Our hearts should be softened by who he is and what he really wants for us, which is only good things. Hebrews 3 verse 15 says, While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. You notice again this, this urgency and this present day call that today is the, is the day. Now is the time to get your life right with God. Don't wait until tomorrow. You don't know what will happen. Okay, you don't even know if you'll ever be, have such a good opportunity to make a decision for Jesus as you have today. When the truth is fresh in your mind and heart, make a decision to know God, to follow God. Because the more that we choose to follow in a path of sin, the more hardened our heart becomes and the more unclear our mind becomes. And so we're going to have a way worse time trying to find and know God if we pass that golden opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ. So the Bible is very clear that today is a day, now is a time to get right with God, that we need to know who he is, that he cares about us, and that one day we will answer before God for the decisions that we have made. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as Romans 3.31 says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us is without sin. We have all sinned. And the wages of that sin is death. But we can receive eternal life through Jesus Christ because Jesus paid the price for our sins. He took death for us on the cross if we are willing to receive by faith what he has done for us. This is the good news that we find in the Bible. And all of these incredible truths have to be presented front and center for people to get ready for Jesus to come, for people to get ready and and just really receive the message. People need to make their decisions now. So these are powerful truths. Now we have some more texts here on hellfire, and I think we should start getting into some of it because the Bible does talk about that. It does talk about hellfire, but we're going to see how Jesus uses this topic to reach people with the good news. Let's find out, because we've seen a lot of Bible texts that show the bigger picture of how God is reaching out to people today. And so we want to look at some of the other texts as well. Now, I will start with a few overall principles of how Jesus reached people. How did Jesus present the gospel, the good news, and how did he motivate people to take action on his word? Well, we see him in the Bible doing a lot of different things. Healing was one of the things Jesus did. He reached their hearts by touching on their felt needs. What was really happening in their lives? Where was the pain point in their lives? Jesus reached hearts and minds by reaching people where their deepest needs were, where they felt their needs the most strongly. But at the same time, Jesus knew their greater need, which was the spiritual need of forgiveness. And for some people, they felt that too. They deeply felt their need of forgiveness. They felt guilt, and their guilt even led to more physical ailments because of the close connection between mind and body. And so we have the example in Matthew 9, 6 of Jesus healing the paralytic, this paralyzed man. He said, your sins are forgiven you. And then he told the man to rise up and walk. So Jesus reached his heart in this case. He came for that, that spiritual healing and forgiveness first. And then he healed him physically. Now, the man was forever grateful. He was healed physically and spiritually. He was forgiven. He felt a load of guilt come off of his chest as he experienced forgiveness in Jesus. And that was the first thing that Jesus said to him. Your sins are forgiven you. He didn't go preaching a sermon about hellfire to this man. He didn't go preaching a sermon about a lengthy list of all of his sins. The man already knew about his sins. He was suffering from guilt for his sins. And Jesus let him know that he was forgiven, that God was forgiving him. Jesus gave that forgiveness. Now, you and I are not the ones who give this forgiveness, but we can share with others that Jesus is offering this forgiveness for their sins. And we have evidence right here in Scripture. Jesus wants to forgive us. That's good news, that Jesus wants to forgive us. So, all of these things, all these stories are so powerful when you look at how Jesus presents the gospel to people. We should follow in like manner as Jesus, present God's forgiveness and God's desire to save us, present God's goodness and the healing power of Jesus. Let people know who God really is. Here's another example. Uh, Jesus pointed Nicodemus to the cross and the blessing of having a new heart. He told him that he must be born again. You know the story in chapter 3 of John, that Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was of the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling class in Israel, and he was a Pharisee. And so this man knew a lot about the Bible, but he did not know about that true relationship with God. He knew a lot about religious things, but he did not know a lot about the love of God and salvation that Jesus freely provides. He didn't quite get all of that. So Jesus spoke to him, and he pointed him 
to the cross of Calvary. He pointed him to look upon the snake on the pole. Like in the wilderness with Moses, he said, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And if he's lifted up, then all the world will look to him and be saved. They will experience him. I mean, it's up to them. It's their choice. But the Bible teaches the principle of look and live. So Jesus shared the good news in this way. He talked about the Holy Spirit regenerating your heart, having a new heart, being born again. All these powerful truths were presented so that this man could understand and receive the gospel. He was hungering and thirsting to know the truth, and Jesus brought the truth to him. So we need to present these things to people in the world today. And the greatest gospel verse that the modern world has known, and probably the world for the last 2,000 years, John 3.16. John 3.16. This comes from this very chapter, from this very discussion that Jesus had. And he, Jesus said, look, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And if you're living in sin and you don't know the light of God, you're already under condemnation. What hope do you have? You're already heading for the grave. Unless you have Jesus, you have no hope. And so Jesus presents all of this in his dialogue there in John 3. Now in John chapter 4, we see that Jesus was speaking with this woman at the well, a woman who had a great history of lovers, people who were previous husbands, some who were not husbands. The one that, uh, the one that she was with right then was not her husband. And so this woman had been in much sin throughout her life and, and just making her way around the neighborhood to the different men. She had a terrible reputation, no doubt, because she came to the well in the heat of the day when none of the other women would have gone to the well. She went there to the well at the hottest part of the day, no doubt, to avoid the, the social difficulties of meeting with the other people there. So... Jesus spoke to her and he said, I want to give you living water. He made her curious. What is this living water, she asks. Are you going to draw from this well? And Jesus said, no, it's better than the water in this well. And she's like, wow, I want this water. And Jesus showed her that it's the water of life, that it's God's spirit living in your heart. Jesus explained what is spiritual life. What is it like to be born again? He used different words to describe the same idea, the same concept. So sharing with others this good news of Jesus, this forgiveness of Jesus is powerful, is very powerful. Here's another instance of Jesus preaching the gospel in the New Testament. Jesus was speaking with a woman who was caught in adultery, John chapter 8. They caught her in the very act. They threw her at the feet of Jesus. They said, hey, the law says we should stone this woman. But what do you say? Jesus knelt down. He began to write in the sand. No doubt, writing their sins. No doubt, he knew everything. These people were looking on, and they said, you know what? Uh, yeah, okay, let's, let's get out of here. So the Bible tells us they began to drop their stones and to run, beginning with the oldest to the youngest to the least. From the oldest to the least. It's the older people that started to realize, <laughs> yeah, we don't have a good case there. Okay, we've all committed sin. We should all just drop our stones and go because we are all guilty. And so the woman looked up to Jesus, and he said, Look, where are your accusers? Has any man condemned you? No man, Lord. Jesus says, Go and sin no more. There again, that call to sin no more. Uh, but he pointed her to God's love and mercy and kindness. She knew her sin. Jesus knew her sin. Jesus didn't just sit there rubbing it into her face and condemning her and saying, you know, nasty things or telling her she was going to go to hellfire. No way. This woman was at her, the bottom of her barrel. She's down there at the, you know, at the end. Like she has nothing to hope for. She knows she's a sinner. She knows she's wretched. God saved the wretch like me. That's how the song goes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God wants to save us from our sins. And the Lord provided forgiveness. When everybody else provided condemnation, God provided forgiveness, a way out, a way of hope, a way of escape. Jesus wants to provide that way of escape for us today, that way of hope for us today. That's what we see in the story of the woman who was caught in 
adultery. So these are powerful, powerful examples of how Jesus presented the gospel. And we see this over and over and over again. Jesus did things for people to touch their lives. He healed them. He helped them. And he pointed them to God's tender mercies, to God's saving love, to the good news, to the hope that they could have through him, to this new life that they could have through him. Jesus inspired people to be transformed. People who were living in all kinds of sinful histories, Jesus inspired them to be transformed, to come out of sin, and to experience a better life through him, through the gospel, through the good news. And as we present the gospel, let's follow the example of Jesus. Let's follow what Jesus did here. This is so powerful. This is so important to follow the good news and this this presentation of truth that God gives. So let's share a few thoughts here on some of the verses where hellfire is preached and talked about and the context in which we see it most often in Scripture. Let's look at that. We're going to look at some verses here, and we won't go into all the verses. We're going to save some of those for our next message, but um, let's take a look at some. So John the Baptist in the New Testament and Jesus, they were pointing some people to the damnation of hellfire. But you know what is really interesting is that it was not generally the broken people, the misguided sinful people out in the world. It wasn't really these people who were usually pointed to the flames of hell. You know who was usually pointed to the flames of hell? It was hardened religious people who felt no need of change. They felt no need of what God was offering. And the Lord said, how are you going to escape the flames of hell? This is pretty much what we see in scripture. Now, if we look at John the Baptist preaching in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, In fact, verse 7 through 11, let's read it here and see what happens. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 11 of Matthew 3. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the Bible talks about the need to be baptized by water and to be baptized by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And in that experience of transformation of our hearts and transformation of our lives and bringing forth good fruit through the power of Jesus, in that experience, we have salvation. But for those trees that are cumbering the ground, trees here you can see is clearly a symbol for people, those trees cumbering the ground that are not bringing forth good fruit, They get hewn down and cast into the fire. That is the fire of destruction. You see there in the last verse, verse 12, it says that his fan is in his hand. That's a winnowing fan. It's for harvesting grain. And it says he will thoroughly purge his floor. You separate the wheat from the chaff, the wheat berry from just the pieces of grass that are not going to be good for anything. And he says he'll gather the wheat into his garner. He'll take the wheat, but all that chaff, he's going to burn it up with an unquenchable fire. So the reminder here was, hey, you might be religious. Hey, you might be the children of Abraham. Hey, you might be going to church. But guess what? If you're not really connected with God, if you're not experiencing salvation through Jesus and a new heart, a new life, a new mind, the fruit of righteousness through the power of God, if you're not experiencing this, he says, you're in trouble. You are in big trouble. Because God will judge, and those who live in hypocrisy and sin will be cast into the flames of unquenchable fire. 
Um, we see also here the statement of Jesus in Matthew 23 and verse 33. Again, talking to a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> Go read Matthew 23. Jesus has a lot to say about these religious hypocrites. He says, You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? And the word Jesus uses there for hell is the word Gehenna. We're going to be looking at these words more in our next message together on this topic because we see several words that are used for hellfire and we want to understand how they are used and what is their meaning. So Jesus mentions Gehenna. He says, how can you escape from the damnation of hell, this fiery place of judgment? How will you escape from it? Mark 3.29 says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost has never forgiveness, but is, un is in danger of eternal damnation. Jesus warned the hard-hearted Pharisees, Look, if you can't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to experience forgiveness, and you're in danger of eternal damnation, eternal condemnation or loss. Mark 12, verse 40, Jesus mentions, those which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. Those people who are living hypocrites in the church and for a pretense make long prayers as if they were holy, but they're not, they will receive the greater damnation. And Luke 20, verse 47, which devour widows' houses and for a show, make long prayers. The same idea, same, same sentence or verse, but just said slightly differently here in Luke. It says, for a show, make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. So you can see that the most, most scathing rebukes from John the Baptist and from Jesus were towards those who were religious hypocrites trying to make themselves appear holy but living in sin, living a double life, not experiencing the good news of Jesus, not experiencing salvation. It wasn't the broken people who already knew they were sinners and, and didn't really have much hope. It wasn't to those people that Jesus came preaching with hellfire, but it was to those who felt they already had it all, who felt they already had salvation, but were living in sin and were not converted. They were religious, but they were not converted. They didn't have a spiritual renewal that took place in their hearts. And so Jesus saved his, his greater damnation, his eternal damnation remarks, his scathing rebukes with the damnation of hell, the flames of fire. John the Baptist and Jesus saved those statements and rebukes especially for these religious hypocrites. And that should come as a warning to us today. What message does God have for us today? What message does God have for the world today? Is hell the number one evangelistic tool of the century? I guess it depends on how you use it and with whom it's used. So Jesus has a lot to say, and the Bible has a lot to say about the goodness of God which leads us to repentance. Scripture talks about that. The goodness of God, which leads us to repentance. Let me see if I can bring that verse up for us. Goodness of God. All right, here it is. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Do you despise God's goodness and his patience? his forbearance, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. There you have it. Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God is leading us to repentance. That's powerful. So this is what we see presented to us in the scriptures. It is the goodness of God especially that is presented to us. And to those who are living a double life of sin, Watch out, because the message of hellfire comes especially for those who are living this double life of sin, especially professing to be holy. 
So let's make sure that we present the good news of God. Let's make sure that we present that. Now, there's more to this topic. There is more to this topic, but we're going to be looking at it in the next one. In part four, we're going to be diving into more of the scriptures and how Jesus presents this topic, how Jesus uses this topic, especially with working with certain folks, with certain people. How does Jesus present the topic of hellfire in this context. We're going to look at that. We're going to be looking at some of the Greek words connected with it uh, so that we can understand clearly how these things are used, how these things are translated, and hopefully the whole picture of this presentation can make a lot more sense as we dive into that stuff in the next podcast this next week. So I uh, hope that you'll join me for that podcast, but for today, let's have a word of prayer to ask the Lord to work in our lives and to do his great work in saving us from sin. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your incredible love through Jesus, for your patience, forbearance, your goodness, your love, and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for these things. Thank you for the gospel, how it's presented in love through Jesus, how he heals people, how he reaches hearts and minds. Lord, thank you for this good news. May the truth forever be presented. Yes, the truth about judgment to come, the truth that we will all stand before the judge one day. Lord, may the world know that we will be held accountable for the decisions we make. May the world know that you are good and patient and kind, but judgment will come, and we need to get our lives right with you. It is time to make our decisions. Now is the time. Today is the day that we make our decisions for you. Lord, there is urgency in the good news of Jesus Christ, and your voice comes to all of us today to get right in you, to have the power of Jesus working in us, to surrender our hearts to you, Lord, and to watch you work and to cooperate with what you are doing in each of us. We thank you, Lord, for your help today. May you bless each one of us and guide us in your will. And may the good news reach many, many souls throughout the world because you desire all men to come to a knowledge of the truth, to repent of their sins and to be saved. So may it be, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friend. I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. It's been great having you as a listener. May God richly bless your day. I look forward to having you join me for the next podcast. Blessings and take care.